Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. This is so fun. Hello, welcome back everyone to another episode of It's Personal. Today, I have family, so I'm super excited not just to have a conversation about something that is definitely needed but also just to kind of catch catch up a little bit family can you just like very briefly can you just introduce yourself just a little bit for everyone right right no problem uh so first of all thank you for having me uh on the podcast i've not been on one before and i'm pretty excited to just to do this and it's an important topic um so so my name is chad williams um i am a physician an internal medicine specialist and a gastroenterologist uh, currently working in dartmouth nova scotia nova scotia is home uh so uh, gary robert and i actually come from uh, the same place uh family but we actually brought up in the same community as well so uh and it's a very uh complex uh and interesting uh hometown uh present so um we both actually have uh, family in uh, both North and East Preston. Uh, both of us were actually brought up and raised in East Preston, but would go to North Preston uh, quite a bit uh, to visit family or uh, when the folks wanted to get away. I know I'd get dropped off in North Preston every other weekend, it seemed like, to spend time mm-hmm. with grandma and grand- granddad and stuff like that. So um, that's, that's uh, me. Um, he actually uh, was fortunate enough to move back to North Dakota just a couple of years ago. Prior to that, I was um, working in New Brunswick, so province uh, just to the west uh, for about six years. And prior to that, I'd been away from home for a long time for training and stuff. So good to be back home. Nice. And I got a chance. Oh, I think it was, was it last year I got to see you, did you speak at the church last year or the year before that? I did. It was, I think yeah. it was uh, a year and a half ago now. Yeah. A year and a half yeah. ago. So that was like my, I, my first time seeing you in a while because every time I come home you'd be obviously still away um and right. we also just grow up like yeah. I just always remember seeing you hearing about you um and you obviously because of the age not that much of an age difference but you had finished schooling and stuff a bit further or faster than me because of age and you had moved right. Um, but I'm just super excited and I think as much as we want to talk about like the stuff that's going on in I guess the world in our community Nova Scotia um, I, I do want to hear a little bit about your backstory as well um, so Chad can you take us back just like a little bit to just like your schooling um, what did that look like for you growing up in Nova Scotia? That's a good question. Um, so uh, I think, you know, early on, it was very similar to well, most uh, young kids in my community. Uh, with, you know, uh, my uh, elementary school was just up the street from where I live. We walked there. Um, 
I actually had a bit of a decision to make for uh, junior high, uh, where I lived was right on the border between two communities, really. And so I had the option of going to a school that actually offered French immersion program, but that school was uh, in a different community. Uh, it wasn't where most of the kids from my community were going to be going. Uh, and that's the demographics in that school look very different. So I went to Gatesbrook uh, Junior High School instead of going to Grand Prix. And for those folks in the know from the area, they know those are two very different schools uh, made up uh, very differently. I was the only black kid. Maybe there was like one other black kid in my junior high. Uh, and then after that, uh, I came back into uh, Cole Harbor High, which again was more like the demographic that uh, it, it included kids from my, my hometown. So that was kind of, early uh, schooling. And then after that, uh, I uh, went into university at uh, Dalhousie University. I did my bachelor of science there. It had been several years that I had been thinking about a career in medicine, actually. And so I wrote the MCAT, managed to uh, do well enough to get into Dalhousie Med School. The rest is kind of history from there, but there are some, there were some uh, interesting uh, stops along the way. So after Dal Med, I decided to go to Calgary, University of Calgary, for my internal medicine training. I did uh, gastroenterology training there, so it's um, medical uh, management of gut diseases. And then we spent a year, my wife and I, um, in LA, uh, where I did um, some further training in inflammatory bowel disease, which is really kind of my thing. Um, my specialty is dealing with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So after that, we left, came back to the Maritimes, which was always the plan uh, to come back to the East Coast, Canada. Um, we ended up getting a, I ended up getting a, a job or an offer at New Brunswick, um, St. John. And we were there for six years. We thought we'd be there probably indefinitely. And we, you know, there was a time where I just thought we were going to end up making that our home. We loved it there. Uh, there was uh, an opportunity that came up in dark, which is, Kind of the uh, Dartmouth General Hospital is a hospital to my home community. That opportunity came up for the same job that I do, and uh, it was just a chance that I couldn't uh, couldn't say no to uh, mm -hmm. for lots of reasons. Um, but one of those reasons is obviously uh, being close to the family. Uh, we've got two young kids; um, they were younger then, but it had always been a bit of a challenge to uh, you know get them to know their family a bit more. Uh, when you're so far away, um, and uh, you know, there's only so so much they can learn about families through FaceTime and telephone calls. So that was it was good to get get back for that reason. And there are other reasons as well. So that's where we're kind of at uh, now, two years, almost three years into it, and uh, yeah, enjoying uh, enjoying the work. Uh, it's busy, but I'm used to busy. And lately, it's been a different kind of busy. You and I were talking about it before the program started here, mm -hmm. but. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into a bit more of that now. But um, right now, what I normally do would be, you know, managing uh, most of my patients in my outpatient clinic. So my, my hospital, my um, outpatient clinic is actually outside of the hospital at my own office. And I would see patients for a variety of gut ailments. Um, they would come to my office and I'd see them do physical exam and then decide what types of investigations uh, they might need or what types of therapies they may need. With, current, with uh, the current COVID-19 crisis going on though, uh, none of that's happening. So um, obviously we're not doing any medical care that's not uh, considered urgent um, mm -hmm. or emergent. And um, all, uh, all physicians have basically closed down their, their practices uh, wow. to protect patients, but also to protect themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I, I 
love hearing your story because I do remember a lot of those steps. I forgot there was an LA step in there. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think it's so cool to hear it because I think everything comes back full circle. Like you had your experience away. And I and I keep telling my wife the same thing. She doesn't believe me, but I keep saying like, we've been away and like, you never know, like we may find our way back home. And she keeps shaking her head oh, at yeah. me. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Yeah. Uh, but Chad, I think that's a good segue into kind of the reason why I think it's really important that we have this conversation I have been seeing a lot of stuff online. I've been talking to family like you have. And I did gather a few questions based on some of the conversations I had, some directly um, with people. And I guess I want to start with kind of what you just left off with. Um, Is that the case? Because obviously people are getting sick and have other reasons to go to the hospital to see doctors as well. Um, If it's not urgent, um, are doctors, um, for the most part, being asked to put things on hold and care for those that are kind of um, in that like COVID-19 bubble, so to speak. Is that how it's working right yeah. now? For, I mean, know? that's, that's, the, that's the gist of it. Um, so if it's non-urgent and can wait, we're definitely putting those things on the back burner. Um, however, um, it's not to say that there aren't things that we can't still do, that we can't do. So for instance, I tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm doing a clinic. Um, there'll probably be about 15 to 18 patients, but I'm not seeing them. So we're going to be doing this business, right? So um, telecommunication or telephone communication, um, most of those patients are follow-up patients. So they're patients whom I've already met several months ago, or I've been following for years, perhaps, and we're just doing some follow-up. Some of them will be new patients, and I'll have to get some new information, try as best we can to kind of uh, determine from their history and their story, what might be going on and what we might be able to do. And usually for what I do, probably 80% of the deal anyway is just listening um, and asking the right questions to try and figure out what might be going on. The physical exam is not necessarily going to give you more information, uh, but yeah, so that's what we're doing. Um, but, you know, I also do procedures, like colonoscopies and gastroscopies. Those are uh, basically not being done right now. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so the only folks that are getting procedures like that done are individuals who uh, urgently need them because it's basically uh, a life or death situation or they've got something else serious going on like uh, maybe they've had a scan performed that uh, suggests that they've got a malignancy like a cancer that needs to be further assessed right away. Wow. But even, I'm not an oncologist or a cancer uh, physician, but even a lot of cancer therapies, and this has been on the news, a lot of cancer therapies are being either stretched out or delayed until, you know, COVID-19 is done. Wow. Wow. And it kind of goes to say how serious this thing is, right? Um, It's it's crazy because you can always get wrapped up with um, online, social media, news, like there's so much happening every single day that it's it's good to hear concrete information from people that are literally like living it on the inside daily and hearing about it daily. Um, so again, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm gonna what I'm gonna try to do is just kind of go down through the questions, and I know I think all these questions are extremely important. I, I think feel free to expand as much as possible on each question. Um, again, I'm not gonna keep you too long, but any of these questions will be valuable for those who are listening. Let's just start with the first question. I think this is a great question because a lot of talk has been online about what do we do as a community. And for me, who's someone who's kind of on the outside, at the same time has such a connection um, to home. 
Um, it's obviously of a concern for me. So the question is, as a black doctor, do you have concern about the history of health care inequities in an underdeserved community? And do you worry about how testing and services will play out as the virus spreads in black communities? Yeah. So um, I think the first part was, um, you know, do I have any concerns with regard to inequities or inequalities uh, of health um, provision in, in the community? I mean, I think going back historically, um, and there are lots of facets to this, uh, you know, prior to the COVID-19 uh, issue even, I was actually involved, or I am involved, in looking at some determinants of health within the um, community, our community, um, with regard to cardiovascular disease and trying to figure out why there may be some strong differences there. So I think part of it, part of it is um, the relationship of the community with the medical um, realm, right? So um, I know lots of folks, um, some of them are older, some of them are younger, but I know lots of folks who don't really believe in um, interacting necessarily with the medical uh, society or with physicians until they feel really, really sick. And there are lots of reasons for that, but some people feel that, uh, you know, going, going to see physicians, uh, they're going to find something uh, that you don't want to know about. Um, so sometimes that, uh, sometimes there are other fears or concerns. Sometimes people just um, aren't aware that, um, you know, preventative medicine is really, really important. So it's still important to see physicians and to interact with physicians even when you are feeling well, but not just there for when you're, when you're feeling unwell. So there's that. Um, on the flip side, though, and I think we, we know more about this from the American data, and we're trying to learn more about the Canadian data, but I think there is um, also the side that, you know, to an extent that the medical community hasn't served our community um, appropriately or properly. Um, so what do I mean by that? Well, you know, there are data coming out of the U.S. or that are available in the U.S., and this is one example, that uh, Black women, Black American women, for instance, uh, have much higher rates of various uh, diseases and ailments uh, than their white counterparts. And a lot has been shown to be, that's partly the case, because physicians and the healthcare providers um, aren't necessarily taking uh, Black women's uh, complaints uh, as seriously as, as those of their uh, white counterparts. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think there's a lot of interplay. Um, I think there are issues within the community uh, and there are issues within the medical uh, society. And those two um, sides definitely interplay with each other uh, to make it such that there's definitely a difference in how healthcare is delivered to, to our community. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not easy to tease out and it's not easy to manage. But I think recognizing that and trying to ask why um, is, a good, is a good start. Mm -hmm. um, your second question, I think you were also asking about specific to COVID-19, um, about testing uh, and, uh, you know, uh, incidents uh, and prevalence of, of it. So, I mean, I've heard, you know, what has been reported as well. Um, I think the uh, general idea is that uh, the rates are higher in our community uh, than in other uh, parts of uh, Nova Scotia. Um, and that... Uh, a potential concern. I think there are lots of reasons for that, though, as well. So and you and I know uh, that uh, the average home, back home, out home, or off home, may look very different from even where I'm living right now. So I don't live in the community right now. I'm outside of the community in, you know, 
uh, middle Sackville, which is uh, probably 25K, 30K away from where my parents live. Um, but where, when I grew up, uh, you know, we had, uh, it wasn't uncommon for us to have family members who had multiple generations living within the home, right? It's just the way mm-hmm. it is. And in a lot of ways, it's beneficial, right? To have grandma mm-hmm. there or maybe a cousin who lives there. Um, and, you know, there are, are multiple people who may be within a home. Um, and that may be a large home with multiple rooms and multiple washrooms or may not be. And that can make it very challenging uh, in these last several weeks of social distancing. Right? So for me right now, um, we've got a sizable home. We've only got four individuals here, uh, just, uh, you know, my wife and the two kids. Social distancing uh, is easy here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I don't have neighbors uh, within view uh, of me. Um, that's very different than uh, where I grew up, uh, where um, it's not uncommon. You walk outside your door and the neighbor's next door and they're waving. They want to know if you can help them out with, uh, you know, something in their yard today uh, or they want to invite you over. Uh, you know, the neighbors are family um, back home. So mm-hmm. it, it, it makes social distancing uh, socially challenging, uh, whereas for some other groups, it may not be the same. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting because like... <laughs> We, I think we as a community, as a people, we care so much. And that's how we've just been brought up. Like we want to be together. We want to take care of each other. And how do we do that? We do that through just showing up and being right. there. Um, and, and I can see that's why, that is why this can be very difficult for, for yeah, a community absolutely. like ours, because that's how we show that we are there for each yeah. other. Right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And, you know, just as much as I do when it comes to like the healthcare system, especially with the older generation, um, they often like I've heard it from my grandmother and grandparents, like my grandparents all the time. Like they say they would say, like, I'll go to the doctor, I'll go to the hospital and I come back with something that I had never heard yeah. of or something that I didn't even know about. And yeah. they feel like they almost make them even more sick than what they are. So I can. Yeah. I just think about that. That just plays in the back of my head all the time when it comes to the healthcare system and how there is like already, unfortunately, this like lack of trust that underlines all of this. And then at the same time, it's something that we need. <laughs> we need like it's something we need to make sure we are are also on top of. Yeah, uh, Chad, this, the second question we have is: What measures can a community like ours do right now um, to make sure everyone is safe? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I don't think the measures are necessarily any different than you know, the measures that we're uh, recommending throughout other communities. So I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, this is a virus and the lifespan of the virus is actually pretty short. Um, you know, so two to three weeks social distancing um, goes a long way to actually extingu- extinguishing the uh, ability of this virus to spread. Viruses can't survive on their own. They actually need human cells to replicate and reproduce. So they kind of use humans for that. But, you know, humans stay away from each other and the virus doesn't have the ability to, to spread, then it can't. So I think, you know, that is is key. It's just really, really challenging in our communities. The other, the other thing would be, uh, certainly if you're unwell, if you have symptoms like uh, cough, muscle aches, fever, uh, headache, um, runny nose, uh, those things um, may be just a cold, uh, it may be just a flu, but it could be COVID-19. And uh, it's really important, and, it, and the resources are there now uh, for individuals to get checked out. Um, so they, here locally, they would call 811. 
they will be given lots of information about what um, testing center is closest to them, how to get there, like how to go there and actually present themselves. And it's a pretty streamlined uh, type of process. Some people may say, well, what's the point of getting tested if um, I already have symptoms and I'm just going to be told to self-isolate anyway? Well, the point would be um, that if you're tested and you, you're shown to be positive, then they can actually ask you some other questions such as, okay, you're positive, but can you now tell us about the other individuals over the course of the last seven days that you may have been in contact with? Because we need to make sure that they're okay and that they're safe. That may have been your grandmother. That may have been your auntie. That may have been uh, your sister um, or, you know, um, a work colleague or something like that. So it, it just helps them to kind of really track down where this virus may be because it's so contagious. Uh, there's a high likelihood of it. If you were in contact with somebody else, they have it and they may be just spreading it. So we're trying to uh, prevent the spread. So there's um, social distancing, uh, reporting symptoms, hand washing. Um, I think all of us are pretty accustomed to washing our hands for certain things, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you you, know, you wake up in the, morning, in the morning, you wash your hands, wash your face, get ready to go. Um, after you've been to the restroom, you wash your hands. Uh, if you've been outside of you know, the house, you come back in, you wash your hands. But I think we have to uh, get uh, accustomed to doing it even more than that and having well, hand sanitizer at a premium right now. There's lots, lots of good, good online uh, websites, though, to talk about how you can actually make your own um, hand sanitizer. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, you could. So it's uh, you could do that. Uh, there's some uh, other acids you can use, like vinegar and water and these types of things that help as well. Mm. So there's some of that. I think the CDC um, actually has some websites around that, too. But we have to get used to washing our hands even more frequently and trying to avoid touching our face, especially when we're outside of our own homes. And what, Chad, what yeah. do you think, and I don't know if this question is on here, but what are, what are some things that we can do? Like, let's say we do have someone that who is um, our elder and it's someone that we often care for, often have to check up on. Are there things that we could do to continue to support them? And what could that possibly look like? Personal. 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 So I think, uh, you know, the elderly are at higher, they're not necessarily at higher risk of contracting the virus. Everybody's at pretty high risk of doing that if they're around somebody who's infectious, but they are at higher risk of doing poorly uh, if they should get the virus. So um, older age uh, has been shown to be a risk factor for getting really, really sick if doing uh, poorly. Also, a lot of the older folks in our communities have other medical issues going on as well, be it heart disease, diabetes, um, you know, hypertension, uh, lung disease, COPD, things that make the uh, virus, uh, things that make them even more susceptible to the virus. So the question is, well, how can we better support uh, those uh, individuals? I think, you know, uh, with social distancing, it becomes somewhat challenging. Oftentimes, they have somebody that lives with them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, now, that person may have other responsibilities and that person may be, you know, a first responder or a nurse or a physician or somebody else who works inside the hospital. So they may have other obligations as well. So I think it's important to reach out um, to either the elderly family member that 
you help to care for or their primary caregiver and say, hey, listen, this is tough on everybody. How can I best support you? That may be um, either uh, providing uh, food. So, you know, uh, supermarket trips are, are tough to do nowadays too. Nobody really wants to go inside the supermarket. Most supermarkets um, are making um, allowances where you can kind of go online or call in advance and make up your list, pop the trunk and they'll throw things in. Well, maybe for that elderly member, just get a list of the foods that they need so that they don't need to worry about going in on their own. Or maybe they've forgotten a few things they had on their list from a couple of days ago and, you know, they don't want to wait for another week to go in. So that would be um, one thing. I think the other thing for our community and uh, folks who aren't from our community mm. or communities like it, they may find this to be interesting. Um, I, I think even talking to them um, over the phone or if you could get a video, chat with them and praying with them. So, you know, the elderly people in our community, um, they value family. They find solace in prayer uh, and strength in prayer. So I think if we can do that, especially with where the churches are shut down now, right? So it's not like anybody's really going to uh, church on Sundays anymore. Although some of them are doing online uh, services, um, some of them are. So I think if you can get online, uh, tell them that you're thinking of them, ask them if they want you to pray with them or for them uh, and see if you can help out with, uh, you know, supplies and trips. And I think that's so important because things that happen in the world can often distract us from what we feel is most valuable. Um, and like you said, coming from um, a Black community where um, the church um, and the Word is such an important um, part of our lives, we can sometimes stray away from it based on the outside world, based on panic, based on stress, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a really, I think it's a really, really good point or something that we can remember um, as a way to support like everyone. Um, Chad, I did see um, a, a lot of, again, this is, I don't believe it's speculation, but I, how much um, of a worry do we need to be um, about the the food, the products that we're bringing into the house? There was a video online a while ago about you buy groceries, you buy things that you could possibly leave it and bring it into the house after the 14-day period, um, or you can spray it down, wash it in the sink, et cetera, et cetera. Um, could you share with us about what that could possibly look like? Should we be concerned about bringing food, other products inside? Um, and if so, what would be the measures of making sure that those things that we bring in aren't really contaminated? Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, and, and one of my colleagues, uh, Lisa Barrett, was on CTV or maybe CBC um, a couple of weeks ago, and she was asked the same question. She's actually a, an infectious disease specialist. So. Um, I'm going to kind of facsimile what she said, I agree with it. So I think it's a valid concern. The virus uh, can survive on, you know, unanimated objects such as food um, for uh, several days anyway. And that's important. And then you could, you could get infected from that. It's not really feasible, though, uh, or it's very, it'd be very difficult to totally, you know, decontaminate absolutely everything that you bring into your home from the grocery store. So I think the most important thing, so the things that we probably should be washing anyway, not everybody does this, but. Personal. 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 Probably should. So, you know, your um, perishable stuff, so your uh, fruits, 
and vegetables that are usually just lying out in the produce area, um, not prepackaged or anything like that. Those things should probably get um, rinsed um, with, uh, well, sprayed first with, uh, you can get a vegetable and fruit spray, you can buy it at the uh, grocery store. Uh, basically, you can even make your own though. So um, usually it's just, again, a vinegar and uh, water um, combination, certain concentrations, and these are available online. But you can get that, spray them down, leave them sitting in that solution for a couple of minutes. The virus itself is actually quite fragile. So um, most viruses are. So they do not like uh, vinegar. They don't like uh, any type of acid. Um, they don't even like warm water or hot water. So that they'd be killed. The virus would be killed by that um, very quickly. And then you just rinse that off and then those are fine. Um, but you know, other stuff, say, um, you know, a can of um, beans. Uh, or a bag of beans or a bag of rice. I mean, I think I, I've seen people and I know of people who actually take Lysol wipes to those and wipe them all down. I think that's all well and good and that's fine. Um, do you need to do that? Probably not because of what I was saying earlier. The most important thing really is um, to wash your hands. Mm -hmm. So if you're handling uh, these, these items and you put them in the pantry, just wash your hands after you've used them. Um, wash your hands several times while you're cooking. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, mm -hmm. the way that the virus is spread isn't through eating it anyway. Um, it's through putting it onto your mucous membranes of your nose and your eyes and breathing it in. Um, if you were to actually swallow one of the viral particles, the virus would die. Saliva in your mouth has lots of enzymes. Stomach has lots of uh, acid. The virus wouldn't survive going down to the GI tract uh, anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think people don't need to be concerned so much about all the other aspects, but I would advise them if, if they really feel strongly about cleaning things off, it should be your fruits and your vegetables. And that's really yeah. good to know. And I think it goes back to just our, our norm has to be different. Like we can't be as um, comfortable not washing something or not washing our hands after everything, because that it, that is, it's a huge, I think that's going to become our new norm. It's just like used washing your hands more. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. oddly enough, I um, think I think this is going to be our new norm well beyond uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, I hundred percent, I hundred percent agree with you, Chad. Has there been any talk about? Well, I'm assuming, um, and again, you see all these um, ideas popping up online about like a vaccine, and if so, like how long are experts saying this thing is going to to play out? And I know that no one can predict the future um, for the right. most part. Um, so what what is that? What are, what's kind of, I guess, the word on that? And um, what are your thoughts on how, how long this is going to be before I right. guess, things come so, back? So, I mean, I think a vaccine would be um, great. Um, there are some things that people need to realize, though, about vaccines as well. So, um, first of all, vaccines don't happen overnight. Um, mm -hmm. And there are lots of uh, institutions that are working on uh, developing a vaccine, including right here, uh, Dalhousie is working on at least one or two um, vaccines uh, as we speak. Um, so there are lots of, uh, you know, really intelligent minds working uh, hard at this. Vaccines, though, take a while to both develop and test, um, even in normal times. They'll try and expedite this one, obviously, because of the seriousness of this, uh, this virus. But even with that, I wouldn't anticipate um, a vaccine being out before the end of the year. I think... Uh, you know, I think at the end of the year, it'd be super fast to have a vaccine out ready and uh, available to the general public. Oh, wow. Um, so that's, yeah, that's something to, to be aware of. The other thing is, um, you know, viruses change. 
Uh, and uh, the current virus that we're battling, they may develop a vaccine for that uh, by the end of the year. I don't know if you've seen or been following any of the uh, top uh, American uh, virologists, Dr. Fauci's name is all over the place. He's quite well um, respected, but he's also said that, you know, this virus could change and it will likely come back at some point uh, slightly different than, uh, than it is now. And whether the vaccine that we're producing or that we have produced at that time is effective wow. against the second round or the third round or the fourth round is a question. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think what the world needs to be aware of and ready for is um, the if not, right? So uh, we need to be better prepared. And in truth, you know, North America and the whole planet, really, we're ill-prepared for this. You know, we're right now, we've got physicians who are kind of scrambling for personal protective equipment uh, to manage these patients. And there aren't enough ventilators in some countries for patients to get unwell. You know, second or third go around, ideally, yeah, hopefully a vaccine covers those. But we'd like to be just better prepared all around in case it doesn't. Wow. And then I think that leads into my next question. How are how how are the, the, the nurses and the doctors like yourself? Like how, what's the general feel? Um, and how is everyone doing? Right. I don't, yeah. So I can tell you about me and, you know, the general feeling of some of my colleagues. And I don't know if that necessarily speaks for everybody. I am a member of um, a couple of uh, COVID, you know, um, support groups and information groups that physicians have um, kind of um, linked into. So I kind of have my ear to the ground there. And I'll say that, you know, people are all around the map about how they feel about it and uh, how they kind of approach it. Mm -hmm. um, if I were to sum it up in one word, I would say um, serious or uh, concerned, right? So it's a disease that uh, we, we know predominantly affects older people and people with uh, other uh, underlying diseases. But um, that doesn't mean that healthy young people, like most of my colleagues, can't get it. You can certainly get it. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to do well just because you're healthy and strong. There are lots of people who don't. Uh, the majority of them will do fine, but a lot of people do not and uh, those who don't uh, do really poorly and can even die. So um, it, that's scary, right? So I, I, think, I think that's what people need to realize. I know that physicians and nurses and you know, the other healthcare providers are often being nowadays referred to as you know, healthcare heroes. And I think to some extent that, that's accurate uh, or true, but it's not like, in my, in my opinion, it's not like for police officers or firefighters, right? So those individuals chose a physician, uh, a practice or a, um, uh, a career that they knew was going to be dangerous to them, potentially. Um, and they did that because they wanted to help people and they enjoyed the job. I think healthcare providers share the desire to help other people um, and, you know, physicians uh, take an oath uh, to do that. Uh, but they didn't necessarily do it in uh, with the thought in mind that uh, they might themselves be in harm's way, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a difference there. Um, and I don't think any of us are soldiers. All of us are dedicated to our work. But yeah, it's, it's concerning and maybe even scary for a lot of us who are um, having to face this disease uh, in the workplace. I know that I am very appreciative any healthcare worker um, who's doing the work. So I, and I say it just because I know and I see it online, I'm online a lot. And there are lots of doctors, nurses, people in that field sharing just the general feeling and the many ups and downs that they go through 
um, throughout the day because it has such a huge effect, not just on them mentally, but their family as well. Some of them can't just necessarily go home and be with their kids or their wife yeah, or husband, right. et cetera, um, because they're in that workspace daily helping other people. Um, again, yeah, even though it, it it's a very different um, workplace and it's always been for people in healthcare. Um, I know for me, I'm very much appreciative of the work that everyone is doing. Um, for those who are not taking it serious, what what could you share beyond the stuff that we've already talked about to help them realize that this is a serious issue? Like this is something we yeah. need to pay attention I mean, I think, to. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I'm online a lot too. And so I was actually online today and I saw that there was, uh, uh, I think a tweet uh, of a picture of a bunch of people who had decided to not social distance. They've, they decided they've had it with social distancing and they're out in a big crowd with these um, you know, uh, posters saying, you know, we're not going to social distance anymore. And they've got their children with them and they're out with a bunch of their friends and neighbors. Um, and I think people, you know, people are um, upset about it and they're frustrated about it. Um, and to some extent, I think a lot of people feel that uh, this is a virus just like any other virus. And why are we making such a fuss about it? Um, why aren't we just treating it like the flu or like the chicken pox and, you know, let it run its course and everybody will get an immunity and it will be over. Um, there's some truth to that, uh, this herd immunity that they call it. But the problem is uh, for those folks who don't do so well, the uh, end result is death and a mm. lot of people die. And um, so what I would say to folks who decide that they aren't going to abide by the rules or they're not going to take this seriously um, I would say, well, maybe they don't need to do it for themselves, but they should do it for other people um, who they may care about, like um, their kids. Um, it doesn't uh, typically um, cause as much uh, morbidity or mortality in kids, but there are kids who have died. Um, they should do it for their, their elders, um, you know, their parents, their grandparents, um, other people's uh, family members. You know, this thing spreads well beyond um, most people's little microcosms. So we need to uh, abide by the rules, not just for ourselves and for our families, but for everybody else's family too. This is, mm -hmm. you know, this is one time where you can actually identify that uh, we all, regardless of where we're from or what we do uh, or what we believe, we all have to do this one thing just so everybody can at some point get back to something that resembles the normal that we had a couple months ago. Talk, talk about the way the world works. Like now it's, this is causing us to really all communities to work together and without working together, somewhat impossible to at least put a hold on or start to control something that's been affecting people for quite some time now already. Um, sure. Are there over-the-counter medication that can help you if you are feeling sick? From COVID? If not, what do we do if we have symptoms? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's been some research into this. You know, most people, when they have a flu um, or an infection like the flu, the cold, uh, they reach for some Advil or ibuprofen. Uh, and there's some uh, combinations you can get from the drugstore that may have other additives and help with sinus congestion, stuff like that. Um, and that makes sense uh, to do something like that to help with the symptoms. Uh, the problem is there's been some early data looking at COVID-19 and for whatever reason it seems that individuals who use ibuprofen uh, so that's you know your Advil uh, your Aleve uh, things like that um, they don't do as well they're not sure why that is but it may partly be 
be because ibuprofen actually decreases inflammation and you need a certain inflammatory response from your immune system to help fight the virus. So they're thinking that maybe that's why ibuprofen is a bad, um, not a great option to go to uh, for COVID-19 symptoms. Um, so if I were to offer a word of advice on what not to do, um, it would be ibuprofen. Um, and it's funny that, that you, you asked that question. I woke up with a headache today. I don't have mm. any other symptoms. I'm sure it's just running around taking care of your kids yeah. on the weekend. But um, I would normally pop an Advil um, and you know have a coffee and uh, get on the rest of the day. I didn't do that today um, because uh, you know at any point I could get called in after going to the hospital. I just don't want Advil in my system if I happen to get exposed to COVID-19. So you know I'm just taking all these uh, potential thinking ahead and taking potential precautions. What could you do? Um, so I think uh, the things to focus on if you feel unwell, um, either COVID positive or you know, you're not sure if you have COVID or not, but if you have symptoms, um, hydrate. So staying hydrated, um, not just with water, but with uh, fluids that are high in electrolytes and, you know, carbohydrates. So uh, if you like Gatorades and Powerades, that's great. That would be a, a great uh, thing to kind of sip on. Um, make sure you get plenty of fluid in and that you're uh, putting a lot of fluid out as well. Uh, a good sign, or sorry, a sign where you may be dehydrated is when you stop urinating. If you're not peeing, uh, then you probably should be drinking uh, more fluids. So uh, stay on top of the fluids, right? Um, Tylenol um, is useful, and that's what they're using uh, most of the time. And if uh, individuals are diagnosed with COVID and then sent home and told to self-isolate, they're often advised that if they have symptoms that are troublesome to use Tylenol, um, it's a great fever, and it can help with some of the symptoms. So uh, hydration, uh, and uh, okay, and then I guess another one to lead off of that question: If I was to come in contact with someone I think that might have had it, like let's say I was talking to someone and they ten days after have found out that they have COVID, um, what should I do? Everyone is saying that you isolate for X amount of days. Is this true? And then what do you do after that, or can you do anything after that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, what you do if you find out, well, oftentimes um, if an individual is identified as having COVID, then you'll be contacted by the Department of Health anyway as one of their contacts, right? Because the Department of Health will have asked them, okay, well, who were you in contact with? Oh, you, you know, 10 days ago, you saw Gary Robert and you were speaking with him. We'll have to call him and notify him. So they'll notify you um, and they will most likely ask you a series of questions about how you're feeling, but they'll probably want to test you anyway. Um, but so say if that doesn't happen, or maybe that individual forgot that they had been in contact with you and you weren't flagged as the person of contact, but, you know, after the fact, you found out that they have COVID and you're like, oh, shoot, you know, 10 days ago, I was just talking to them. I think it comes down to whether or not you're symptomatic or not, first of all. So if you've got symptoms, definitely call 811, um, you know, go to the assessment center, get swabbed and tested. Um, Probably not a bad idea to call 811, even if you're not having symptoms, just to notify them that you have been in contact with an individual with COVID. They probably want to check you anyway. But yes, so the other thing that you mentioned would be, well, what about uh, self-isolation? Uh, I think, you know, it's something that we're doing, everybody's doing now anyway. Um, so as it stands, you know, we're all kind of staying at home, um, not leaving except for absolute uh, necessities. Um, but if you put yourself in the um, kind of box where you've been exposed, um, or if you're positive, 
or if you have symptoms and you've been uh, exposed to somebody, then you kind of have to take it to a bit of another level. Then you really need to act like, you know, just a couple of weeks ago when people were coming back from the U.S. or from all around, they literally could not leave their home for two weeks. That's the kind of level you'd need to go to if you were uh, one of those individuals. So literally staying in the home for two weeks. If there are other individuals in the home, again, you have to take it to another level. Ideally, isolating yourself to a certain spot in the home um, for two weeks, which can be challenging uh, if you're a parent uh, or a spouse. Um, but that's to protect your kids and uh, your partner. Wow. I think that's important, again, because it goes back to how a lot of our families work. Like we have so many people living or staying with us. Um, and what do you do if one of us feels something or we do get sick? Because it's not like you can just go out and get your own apartment right away or find another spot no. to live in. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's a really important part. Um, Chad, can we and what I'd love to end this this podcast on something um, positive. And, and I know that you've I'm assuming you've had lots of um, bright moments throughout your day as well, whether that is through the cases or the work that you're doing um, in healthcare or even at home. Um, can you share just like some sort of happy moment that you've experienced within like the last few weeks that you guys have been experiencing, like the social distancing? Um, COVID? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think most of my moments uh i haven't been at work that much um so i do have good time to work with the, the staff there as well but obviously we've not been uh, seeing each other as much so most of my happy moments come right here at home um and so i've got uh an almost six-year-old an almost uh four-year-old uh both young girls both very uh active uh both very different uh than each other but they love each other so uh simone our uh youngest she's a force of nature she's uh, <laughs> a juggernaut yeah she's just she's not gonna have any problems getting whatever she wants ruby <laughs> is uh ruby takes a is a bit of a gentler soul and a very sensitive soul so uh, if i were to say uh you know some of the happier times or uh, events that have happened a little bit we like to listen to music mm -hmm. um and uh the girls love older stuff like the stuff i like um maybe that's because it's I play, or Glenn and I play, but you know, we'll have dance parties and uh, you know, it's just cool to kind of move, uh, laugh and have a good time with uh, with family. So uh, mm -hmm. that's what uh, that's what makes me happy. Uh, that's that's awesome. And I think I think it's so cool because I'm seeing so much of that now um, that people, and I don't want to say people aren't busy because uh, people are extremely busy, especially parents who are doing double duty. Like they're taking care of their kids and they're somehow trying to figure out how to work through online and or maybe some of them are also going into work. So even though so much of that is happening, I'm seeing more stuff online where families are just doing so much together um, and yeah. seeing kids be so excited that their mom and dad or whomever their caregivers are home on a daily basis or you get to see them on a daily basis. It's just, it's been really, really nice to see. Um, and then on top of that, parents are becoming I think they've always been, yeah, partially, but at the same time, like I think parents and people are just becoming more, that creative side is coming out more, that childhood, yeah, that, kid in them, that kid in them is coming out more. Like, like you said, they're doing the dance parties, they're building the forts, they're creating yeah. that cardboard house, like all those things are coming out and it's been, it's been really, really cool, cool to see, to see parents um, really getting in on that. 
Chad, I want to thank you for spending time with me. Um, you're today, oh, my you. tonight, so to speak. It's it's really nice to hear your voice, and I'm hoping that this message is shared not just amongst our community, but some of the people um, that have had some concerns around um, COVID-19. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on. I, I uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, thank you. And yeah. Uh, yeah, keep up the, the good work. No, this will be very, very, um, very, very valuable.